Please be seated. Even though your bulletin might read that we will be hearing Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3, the in toto verses will be the beginning of the Gospel's chapter, verse 1, and I will be reading selected verses through verses 16. May God open up to us a new understanding of this word. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him, and all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. John says in the 11th verse, I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me, and I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented, and when Jesus had been baptized... Just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. This was Judea's J.T.B. Boulevard, John the Baptist. And all the people from Jerusalem and Judea and all the surrounding counties and nations were coming forward down this J.T.B. Boulevard to meet John who had gathered at the River Jordan where he was baptizing anyone who wanted it, who was willing to come into the waters and confess their sins, and to repent, which means to turn around, to start over. Anyone. And the text says they all were coming out to him. Even the righteous religious people. I didn't read that part, but it says the Pharisees and the scribes. That's just 
code for the righteous religious people. They went out too, but they did not go into the waters, supposedly. They took a seat and watched because what they saw in these, in these baptisms was that John was cheating. All of these people lined up had already been graded by the righteous religious people as who could get into the temple and who could not. The pure and the righteous. Those who had money to buy sacrifices and offerings and those who couldn't. It was clearly decided who those people were and John was messing up the game. For it mattered not whether they were impure, unrighteous, sinful, whether they had leprosy, None of that mattered to John. He simply let them come into the waters of baptism. He was the Lady Gaga of the day, dressed in wild things and eating locust and wild honey. And what they brought with them on this journey down JTB Boulevard was all of their sins and all of their guilt and all of their shame and all of their trauma and all of their loss. All of it they brought heavily burdened by it. And what they ended up doing with it, of course, is walking into the River Jordan with it, where John the Baptist would strip them free of it with their confession let it float down the river out of their grasp, put one hand behind his back and the other hand behind their head and then dunk them down into the waters of that river where they held their noses so as not to have water go up them and close their eyes and then immediately bring them up out of the waters of baptism where they sputtered and opened their eyes and saw the sun shining down on them, warming them and drying them. That powerfully visceral. Now, as Presbyterians, we don't do it that way. We sprinkle with water out of this font. But something is lost, you see, when we don't have that kind of embodied experience of baptism. Some of you who were baptized in a Baptist church or Anabaptist church probably did have this, or maybe you were rebaptized at some point in your life. A lot of people like to go to Israel and, and be rebaptized in the Jordan River. It's a more visceral experience. But I want to say to you that it doesn't matter. When was the last time you felt your baptism? If you were baptized as an infant, you don't remember. You're told about it. There are pictures about it, but you don't remember. But I would like to suggest that, in fact, you think you don't remember, but you do. You may not remember it in your head, for our memories are always biased by many factors. But the memory in our bodies is never biased. For our bodies, on a visceral 
in a visceral way, in an embodied way, our bodies remember everything that has happened to us since even before we were born. On every cellular and atomic level, our bodies remember. Our bodies remember whenever someone embraced us with love and affection or abused us with a hand. Every single trauma that we have ever experienced is remembered in our bodies. There's a great scene in O Brother where our art thou, if you've ever seen the movie, one of the top five, it takes seeing it three times to, to get that, by the way, where one of the characters is baptized in the river and he comes up and, I've been saved! I've been saved by the blood of Christ! The water saved me. It's washed me clean of all my sins. Come on in, fellas. The water's fine. And of course, they don't go in, but in him going in, he was, in fact, saved. And what he was saved from were his sins, his baggage, his stuff, his regret, his shame. That's what salvation means. It's not about going to heaven. It's about being set free from all the bondage. This experience that we had at baptism is an experience of unmitigated, unconditional love. Especially as an infant, there is nothing that infant has done to deserve it. It's not done by receiving approval. It is simply given, even though you can't do anything but mostly cry. And in some way, we think, and I think, And the Bible seems to think that we are now all embodied in this thing and that child, that infant, gets it. They might not understand what it means. They might not know that it means being washed clean, about being set free, about being given a second chance. But the job of the church is to help them learn that. And the job of the church is to provide a safe place where these children will never understand the power of abuse. That's the job of the church. So that these children will grow up knowing that in the church there is nurture and care by the hands of those who are adults. When was the last time you felt your baptism? It's hard for us to understand this, of course, because we are... We are educated people, we Presbyterians, we, we're the frozen chosen, we spend most of our time in our heads, that's okay, but, but you know, when the, when the Hebrew people were around, they understood that most knowledge comes through the body, that we learn through the body, whether it's the body of the earth, which was created in the image of God, or each individual body or bodies. In every way, God's presence is there. That's the way the Hebrew people understood how you learn. But the Greeks came along, you see, Aristotle and Plato and Socrates. The Greeks began to use their heads. And what they came up with is there's this split between body and soul, the psyche and the soma. The body and soul are different. And so the soul is good, and the job of the soul is to get out of the body because the body decays, and the body's earthy, and the body's dirty. Uh, it's the ground. The body has weird stuff along with it. The job of the 
enlightened one is to spend your time in your heads and to bring and raise your psyche up past all this body stuff. And that was the beginning of the great split. The ancients knew it, but we've lost it, beginning with the Greek culture. And then Christianity comes along and Jesus gets it and John the Baptist gets it. But then the church becomes an institution and then it becomes an enterprise. And the more it became an enterprise, the less embodied it became and the higher up it became on the level of power and patriarchy. And so we've lost that. And then the enlightenment comes along and says, if you want to know what it means to have wisdom, you've learned from books. And one more time, our split from brain and body is divided even more. This text is clear. The amount of love that we experience is related to not how much we learn, but how much we are and experience the embodiment of God. And that healing actually comes not from talk therapy, although that's important, but it comes from the experience of being in the presence of another person who is willing to listen and understand who you are, their body sitting with your body is what brings the healing. So when was the last time you felt your baptism? These people walked into the river and like Jesus, they were cleansed. And like Jesus, they experienced the Spirit of God come and light on them. And like Jesus, they heard their name called, just as we call the name of every child or adult that we baptize, Steve, child of God. You are my own. With you I am well pleased. Last year, I had an appendectomy. And it was no big deal. I went to Baptist Hospital. But I, I felt my baptism. I felt it when I was, after all the paperwork, uh, invited to go into the prep room where uh, this really huge man, huge man, tackle on a football, Clemson football, huge kind of, not Alabama now, Clemson. <laughs> and, and like, ooh, And his job, you see, was to be the orderly, which means to put me in order so that I would be ready to receive the laparoscopic surgery. And he had a big old razor in his hand because he had to shave around some stuff. And so I'm thinking, ooh, can can it not be a woman? Because I know how men work, and it's not delicate. But it turned out that this huge man was Jesus. He was the embodiment of baptism. His care and nurture, his tenderness invaded every scared pore in my body. And as I sat on that table, I experienced what baptism was really all about. This visceral Love. I saw something the other day that sort of sums it up, although I'm not summing up the sermon yet, by the way, so don't get anxious. It's in every bingo parlor. 
You must be present to win. And what we give thanks for is that in this moment of Christ's presence embodied even into the place of baptism, even in the place where he is willing to go into those polluted waters with all of the sins and all of the dirt and all of the stuff floating around in it, Jesus enters into it too and in fact in some way desires it. Just as Jesus enters into all the stuff in our lives where it's not always so clean. When we do our little confession thing, our liturgy of confession, and today it was longer, it was more precise, a little more particular. Don't get too particular with the confession stuff. We get itchy. Uh, man, I was getting hammered by some of those things in there. And, and how graceful it is that we can then go to the silent, awkward, silent prayer of confession where I'm starting to dig up some stuff like when I was in 10th grade, I stole $10 out of my mother's purse so that I could go see mash again for the 10th time and take my best friend Tom High and we could buy some popcorn and, and, and Cokes back then that's what it cost for two people to go to the movies and she never, she never found out till I told her there were a lot more profoundly deep things bubbling up in my psyche my body that I didn't want to deal with that time gives us a chance. And what happens after that is that we sing, oh God, create in us a clean heart, that baptismal cleanness. And then, and then Brianna today stands over us and gives us this assurance of pardon that yes, indeed, it has happened. It is true. We can experience this in our bodies. We have been cleansed. When was the last time? I walked into a hospital room a couple of months ago. One of our members in his 90s was uh, there because they discovered he had a heart valve issue. And he was also, he had been a doctor in our town and um, he sort of knew what was going on. And so the, the, I walk in and the man was mad as he could be. Uh, So I pulled a chair up and started talking to him. And and I discovered that he, um, he had already talked to four doctors that day. And the first doctor came in and said, I, I need to talk to you, doctor, about your, your, your uh, prognosis and your treatment. And the doctor stood on the other side of the room and leaned against the wall and folded his arms and told him what he had and said, but I tell you, if we operate and being 94, you may not survive it. And the patient my friend, our member, said, well, I just want to talk to somebody about it. And the doctor wrote down in the file, doesn't want surgery. Another doctor came in an hour or so later, took the chart, folded his arms, looked at it, and it says, it says here you don't want surgery. Is that true? And my friend said to him, he's telling me this story. I told him, I didn't say that. I said I wanted to talk to somebody about it. A couple hours later, a third doctor walks in and does the same. Now I'm listening to this, and as he tells me about the fourth doctor, he said the fourth doctor came in and he pulled up a chair and he sat beside my bed. Now, as he's telling me this, he's starting to cry. 
Tears were coming down his eyes. He said, he sat beside me on my bed and he put his hand on my arm and he looked at me and he said, the chart says you don't want surgery, but I know there's a lot more going on than that. Help me understand what you're dealing with. And my patient couldn't get the words out. He was blubbering as he was telling this story because, you see, that was his feeling of what baptism is all about. This embodied touch, this visceral experience of God's love and presence. Of course, I started crying too, especially when I found out that the doctor that sat down with him happened to be a church member. In the Presbyterian Church, we have the baptismal font, which is this embodied material way for us to understand what forgiveness is all about. And we have a table where the Eucharist, the bread, the body of Christ, the cup, the blood of Christ, is lifted up and held out for all of us to partake. And whether you believe in transubstantiation or not, it makes no difference because what it is telling us is that Christ loves us so deeply that he chose to embody that love in this world and in his suffering. And not only that, this is the real, real good news to embody it in each of us. Each one of us embodies the very presence of what baptism is all about. So when was the last time you felt your baptism? 